Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jim Ventura. Welcome to Snake Oil Radio. Uh, it is a lovely day here in Phoenix. Uh, we have, uh, we're actually in the 70s here, so it's quite nice out. It's uh, 11 o'clock in the uh, morning. And uh, quite a big break from the heat that we were getting up until early October. So um grateful for this uh, little shift in, in uh, weather. Um, anyway, uh, if it's your first time tuning into uh, Snake Oil Radio, welcome. Uh, I'm host uh, Jim Ventura. And uh, this is a 45-minute uh, radio call-in show, uh, although uh, so far I'm still kind of building an audience, so it seems like most people are catching my show on the archives, which, of course, is going to make it impossible to call in. Uh, one of the things about being a newcomer to the station is the sort of primo times to get uh, for, for radio broadcasts that are usually taken. You kind of have to work your way up to that. So I'll, I take 11 o'clock in the afternoon a morning shot when most people are, are uh, working. Uh, but anyway, uh, the good thing about uh, these broadcasts is they go to archives, so if you're not catching it live, you can always uh, catch it on the archive. Uh, if you are call, uh, if you are listening live and you do want to call in and ask me a question or comment in a, uh, on the subject of the show, that call-in number is 646-200-3966. Again, that's 646-200-3966, and I will uh, be uh, able to take uh, callers in about 10 or 15 minutes uh, once I actually have kind of launched into the subject of my column this month. So again, I'm Jim Ventura. Uh, I am a blog columnist. I write a monthly column called Snake Oil, and uh, this is Snake Oil Radio. So uh, what we do on this show is I uh, read and then talk about the column and the subject matter. And uh, I, every other month I also have been doing a, an interview feature with uh, people in different elements of the uh, metaphysical fields, from psychics to healers and, and all kinds of good stuff, uh, all kinds of uh, eccentric, interesting uh, characters uh, with uh, often with lots of talents. Um, so uh, we'll be doing another uh, show like that next month, uh, and I'm lining up a guest now. Uh, generally, a little bit about me. Uh, I am an oracle reader. Um, in the old terminology, we call that a soothsayer. Uh, my expertise is in astrology and numerology and tarot and uh, runestones and animal cards. I, I read a lot of different oracles uh, proficiently, uh, so I have a lot of background here in studying um, patterns, and uh, I often uh, I work one on one with clients and do private sessions uh, with oracle reading uh, to give people insight into what's going on in their lives, and uh, it's really kind of a form of mapping. So when you look at a tarot card spread, you're looking at a map, and uh, it can be really quite fascinating to uh, see what the cards tell us. Uh, as well as um, looking into the, uh, the dynamic of who we are by looking at astrology and numerology and the other uh, factors that influence or show us who we are. You know, I always like to tell people that the more aware you are of um, of your own characteristics and who you are, the more likely you are to be able to work to resolve the areas where you have blocks and um, 
to feel more empowered about the self because, you know, you make sense. You understand why you might be different from everyone. And every individual is unique. One of the uh, main messages that I always reinforce with clients and anyone that I work with, I also teach classes, um, is that our thoughts, our beliefs create our reality. Uh, we kind of get what we concentrate on. And uh, that is a subject that I often do talk about in my column as well as in uh, as the broadcast. And when I work with others, uh, sometimes we'll do that work to look at breaking down belief patterns and seeing what it is we believe and seeing whether it's uh, a value to change those perceptions. You know, the strange thing is the reality changes within a short period of time once we change the internal belief. Uh, and this is a kind of universal law that, that does operate and always will. I'm also a writer, and I published my first book about a year ago called Dirty Little Secrets by Jim Ventura. Uh, it is a collection of essays about um, a little bit about metaphysics, but mostly about relationships and growing and evolving. And um, kind of, uh, there's quite a bit of humor in the book, uh, as well as a bit of drama because it's really based on on, on truth, on real life. In that sense, uh, so far the book has been doing well. Uh, you can get that book on Amazon, um, or you can order it directly from me at my website, which is uh, web.mac.com slash Ventura Words. Uh, you can always Google snake oil, and you'll probably come up with it anyway, um, or even Dirty Little Secrets, although uh, that seems to be a few people have taken that title. Um, and I will have a second book out in uh, sometime in 2009, Snake Oil Volume 1. So uh, anyway, um, I'm going to I'll talk a little bit more about some of these things, but I think it's time for us to kind of launch into the uh, this month's column, and uh, I'm going to uh, read my my blog entry here, and then I'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. So this month's column, uh, this month's snake oil is called "Hold On, Little Sally Wants to Say Hello." A number of my friends are married with children. A few of them have very young kids who are between two and four years old. More often than not, when I talk to my friends, there are usually a series of interruptions by one or more of their young children. Sometimes conversations get cut short where I find myself waiting while the exasperated parent has to resolve one child-related crisis after another. For the most part, none of this bothers me. I've had many friends over the years who have been juggling a friendship with me and a million other important a million other important parts of life. They understand that they place a high priority in it, attending to their small children. There is a phenomenon that I have seen countless times that continues to be a bit maddening, though. Inevitably, my friends feel compelled to have little Sally say hello and talk to their Uncle Jim. Usually, the poor kid either doesn't really want to say hello or ends up struggling to pull off this incredible feat. Sometimes she gets shy and says nothing, while I try to draw draw words out of her. Another time she rattles on in a three-year-old language that only a parent can appreciate or understand. Mom and Dad being with pride during these special home times. They're actually enjoying prodding little Sally and showing off how advanced her communication skills have become. Well, the parents could not be more thrilled with the interaction. I usually find myself dreading these magical times. While I've never had children and don't plan on it any time in the near future, 
I have had a large number of friends who have taken this road. Honestly, for the most part, I enjoy the short time I spend around their children. Spending some time with a traditional family can be really nice. In addition, the parents are usually thrilled to have an adult to interact with. They're often generous with their food and drink in hopes of keeping me entertained during my visit. Watching the kids and sometimes playing with them can actually be a blast. Overall, I can truly say that all of my friends are excellent parents. The best part is, after hours, I get to go home to my comfortable, quiet house, mellow cat, and escape all the intense child energy. I like the role of Uncle Jim. It's an easy one. There have been a few times in my life where my visits to homes with small children were not very fun. Little Johnny butts into every conversation, needs to roll the dice when we try to play an adult board game, and constantly demands attention. He blatantly creates power plays and inappropriately butts into every moment of our adult conversations. The majority of my friends, both present and in the past, have been fairly liberal in their child-rearing philosophies. I find it strange that they allow the children to constantly interrupt. The whole process is alien to me. My childhood was completely different. My German mother was strict when it came to these types of issues. We learned early on that adult time was simply that. We were required to find a way to entertain ourselves when our parents had visiting guests. Tantrums and interrupting adult conversations were not tolerated. We were not the center of attention at those times. It seems that currently parents are far more liberal in their approach to parenting children than I remember from my childhood. I wonder if this is a good thing. If a child is taught that they can constantly interrupt and get their own way, will they become adults who believe the very same thing? The first time Sally goes out into the real world and finds out that her theatrics and belief that the world revolves around her do not fly, she is likely to have a very difficult time dealing with a world that isn't as tolerant as mom and dad were. Because there were so many children, it was difficult for us to get any recognition or acknowledgement. We were taught, we were not taught to stand out and shine too brightly in this world. We were supposed to quietly exist in the background. I had to work through a lot of this in my 20s to become comfortable being in the spotlight. I think that the lack of attention we got was a little damaging. Still, we did learn the value of humility. I wonder if some of the parents who give their children far too much attention or let them run the show are going too far in the other direction. Parents with children were often so consumed with the excitement around the children's developmental phases that they assume everyone else around them should feel the same way. I sometimes see a similar type of behavior in people with pets who see them as children. They pull out endless pictures of little Scruffy in his Christmas sweater and go into tremendous detail about how wonderful their child actually, how wonderful, how, how their wonderful child actually speaks or dances or kisses or Blah, blah, blah. My sister once shared a nauseating story with me about her brother-in-law and his wife, who have no children, treated their Labrador retrievers like they were special kids. She gave them a yearly party, yearly birthday party, 
complete with hats, presents, party favors, and even an expensive cake. They invited human guests, filmed it on video, and had everyone sing happy birthday to the two little darlings. It seems that people can get more than a little nutty when it comes to their children, whether they be human or animal. A few nights ago, when I climbed into bed, my adorable cat was waiting for me to come to bed. She sleeps on the end of the bed and loves bedtime as much as her father does. We've gotten into a routine where I play a game with her before I fall asleep. She has a collection of little colored blocks that she likes to play with. She absolutely loves when I throw the blocks gently to her. She jumps in the air, darts around the room in a blissful frenzy every time. She either catches the blocks in her paws or swats them away like she's hitting a baseball. Her aim is incredible. She goes nuts over this game, and I find myself joyfully laughing at her antics because she's so freaking cute. I sure to think about getting a camcorder and filming some of these play sessions to show my friends how talented my little girl is. But one of the whole world to see how funny and playfully lovable my little girl is. The next day, when I was thumbing through a catalog and considering buying a camcorder, it hit me. Damn, I am as consumed with pride and love around my cat as my friends are about their children. I'm equally nuts. The process of looking to buy a camcorder to record my child antics was actually quite funny. It was there and then that I realized all of my discomfort with my friends being over the top with their children. I had developed an overly conservative approach and irritation to liberal parents because I was deprived of the benefits of having parents who treated me as if I was special. It isn't that conservative parents are right and liberals are wrong or even the opposite. Extremes in either direction created imbalance. And when it comes to our children and our pets, many of us become a little queer when we, we beam with love and pride. Love's light is very powerful. It makes everything in our eyes the most beautiful thing in this world. We also want to share that perception and the emotions that they trigger in us with the people we care about. We might even go a bit overboard at times. So what? There's no real harm in expressing too much love. Hell, the world would be a far, be far better place if we all expressed a little extra love and pride in the things that we care about. Excitement and passion about the things we love can occasionally get heavy-handed. Parents are no exception. Little Sally is a shining star in her parents' eyes, and this is probably more of a good thing than a bad one. She's likely to feel good about herself and carry that feeling with her for all of her life. Her self-esteem and inevitable belief, inevitable belief that she is special is more likely to make her parents make her become another powerful light in this world. Bravo. Put little Sally on the phone. Uncle Jim wants to hear every word. August 2008. Okay, so that was my column. And it's funny because if anybody does follow my, my monthly uh, columns uh, fairly uh, closely, you know, I, I often um, will take a... a uh, uh, like last month's column, uh, I did. Uh, so I wrote about uh, war and the karma behind war, 
and uh, it was definitely a strong column. A lot of people reacted to most positively, a few, of course, negatively. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it's funny, it, you'll kind of watch a pattern with me that I often will take a lighter uh, approach uh, following a kind of heavy approach subject. And I actually think that's really, really important. I, I do do the same thing even when I work with people uh, in one-on-one uh, counseling sessions as well as when I teach classes. You know, sometimes it's appropriate to, to take a heavier hand and to get serious, but I do think there's some real value in humor. And I, I really do. You'll see that in my writing. You'll see that in my. Uh, you'll see that working with me personally. That I think that humor in and of itself is a very, very powerful tool. So you know, needless to say, this is was a little bit of a lighter topic and subject that I wanted to kind of bring up this month. Uh, even though, of course, anyone who uh, reads between the lines realizes that I actually am really bringing up a number of significant themes in this column. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, process of, of talking about uh, how uh, parents raise children and how we uh, we react to that and the influences uh, that do happen uh, from this. And uh, I've got to probably tie in a few things about astrology and things as well with this, of course. But uh, if anybody is uh, currently listening live and wants to comment or has a question, uh, please feel free to call in. Uh, call in number is 646-200-3966. Okay. Also, uh, I do have, there's an open chat room. If you're online and listening to the show, uh, you can uh, make comments in the chat room if you're uh, shy when it comes being on air, which I think it's certainly been the case for some people. Okay, so anyway, let's talk a little bit about uh, motivation behind uh, my little Sally column. You know, it's funny because I am uh, single and I have never been married in the traditional sense. Uh, I am a gay man, so I have had uh, a few long-term relationships along the way, but uh, no marriage uh, per se. And uh, while it is theoretically possible for me to adopt or to have children, I can honestly tell you I have never really wanted to do that. I think the only time in my life when I, I realized that uh, at one point I wanted to have uh, children and uh, a family was in my early 20s. Uh, and I think it was more because I just thought it would be fulfilling and something I quote-unquote should do. And then, you know, I actually was raised by fairly good parents and had a pretty strong family. So um, I think that I thought I would probably make a good father and it might be a nice thing to do to be, you know, give a, a child or two that option. But really, honestly, as I progressed into my mid-20s, it really dawned on me, one, um, I, 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 as much as I can be good with kids, I've always sort of had that. I want to. I can hang out with them for a few hours, and then I kind of want to go away. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And I think a really good parent has to have a certain tenacity, or a certain ability to really, really keep plugging away and being available uh, emotionally, psychologically, even physically for their children. Which to me really just sounds like a, an exhausting process. So I really do give credit to my my friends who are parents. Um, I mean, that's why I say I, my friends or parents are good parents. I, I, I wouldn't hang out with people that aren't good people. So good people are also generally good parents. 
and I think the thing of it is, is you know, for me as an artist and a creative person, as a writer, every time I write a book, every time I write a column, you know, I'm birthing a little mini child here in my own way. Of course, it's not quite as elaborate, but it does have uh, that dynamic. So I think, you know, I've often told people that uh, the, I think it's a great calling to have children and uh, one that many people will follow. And I think it's one of the most important roles in the society, the people that raise and bring children up. And I think it's often undervalued. Um, wisdom comes in recognizing that for many people, they're not capable of fulfilling that role. Uh, not every woman is meant to be a mother. Not every man is meant to be a father. Um, that's a very significant uh, reality in that sense. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is attempting to uh, raise children when their heart is not really into it or they don't have the skills to necessarily do this. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a firm advocate for, you know, yeah, if you, if you can't do it, be honest about that and uh, let someone adopt or take that child who would be able to really give them the love and the attention that they really, really, really deserve. So, you know, it's funny because I think sometimes people get irritated with uh, gay men a lot of times for being quote-unquote selfish about that. But uh, and I think it's the same thing with, with unmarried heterosexual people, uh, and especially women that will get this tag that they're somehow selfish and that they're they're barren of that loving um, uh protective, nurturing gene. And I think the most unselfish act a person can actually take is to recognize that they don't have the ability to do that and to not walk that road if it's not for you. you know, one of the things that I, I, I will talk about in more depth in a future uh, radio show and, and blog column is this, uh, this idea of that's still so prevalent in this culture um, from the religious right especially about these, this, everyone is supposed to raise children and, and have children and create families and God wants us to propagate and, and fill the earth. You know, we're full. And, and the simple reality of it is, is again, for, for practical reasons, there is no reason anymore for us to keep reproducing in the record numbers that we are, are doing that at still. You know, I think, it's a, I think it's wrong. I think it's a disservice. I think it's, I think really all the problems that we have end up in many ways boiling down to issues connected with overpopulation. So, you know, another reason that this whole focus on the family um, Christian right group thing that I keep hearing so, so strongly pushed into the face is another reason that they're wrong, as if there weren't a million of them already in that sense. And I, and I recognize that their intentions are good, and I, I see the where they do some wisdom is in the recognition that if you're going to commit to raising a family, do a good job and be there emotionally and, and psychologically for um, and physically for the children, absolutely, if you're going to commit to that. But it could be one of the healthiest things to recognize that that's not for you. And even more importantly, um, you know, a lot of people need to kind of chill on, on reproducing the way that we are in that sense, Uh you know, again, overpopulation to me is the the brunt of one of the largest and biggest problems that we have affecting us. It affects our economy. It affects the um, it affects the planet. It affects so many things in that sense. So uh, yeah, we we kind of need to chill. That old that that religious idea of of reproducing uh, needs to be reevaluated. I see these people with. Uh, uh, 
these some of these uh, families that have 11 children or 13 children. I mean, you know, what is this? 1811? Are you, are you worrying that some of them are going to die of diphtheria on the farm? You know, enough already with the ridiculousness. Not to mention the women being like uh, literal baby factories. I mean, ugh, God, the whole thing is just absolutely sickening when it comes down to it. It just does not even make any sense anymore, certainly not in this day and age. So, but, you know, more importantly, well, I won't say more importantly, uh, <laughs> just as important. Um, if you already have children in that sense, I think that that is an interesting thing to look at that people who have children often, again, understandably so, but in some ways often become overly consumed with their children to the point that they assume everyone else is. And that's really what was a funny prompt. Um, you know, I'm 43 years old, and I have had so many friends who have had children over the ages. It's not just the, the current few that have them. I mean, I go back into my 20s when I had uh, friends who were uh, married with children. Some of them were married and had children. Most of them were married with children. And, uh, you know, I can't even tell you how many times I've had that situation where, you know, they're putting a little kid on the phone and the kid's trying to talk and, uh, oh, God. You know, definitely uh, a little bit of an exhausting process uh, to go through. Um, you know, and, and it isn't that the kids aren't cute or that I don't like them. You know, I, I really actually do. Um, I, you know, I, I, I tend to be a very well-liked uncle, um, I bring the kids stuff once in a while. Of course, I do it according to my own rules and regulations, though. I don't necessarily follow the birthday Christmas rule book. Uh, it's when I feel like doing something special uh, for them, I will. Uh, and a lot of it is just to, to play with them, to interact with them. I, I mean, I really, really do enjoy it. The phone thing, though, can get a little bit tough because for the most part, when you're trying to have a conversation, you know, it, it did. It, it, I wrote this. I wrote when I wrote this column. I really did uh, trigger memories that I had pretty strongly about being a kid. And one of the things about growing up in my house was my mom and dad were together for fifty something years in a, in a real reasonably healthy marriage, um, which uh, is uh, odd uh, in comparison to what most people have gone through. And I can honestly say that they're they're. Their child rearing philosophies were good. We were, we weren't we weren't hit. We weren't punished very much. But um, my mother had the uh, Catholic guilt thing that she used as a way to keep us in line. Uh, you just didn't really step out of line when it came to it. It wasn't that you were going to get hit. It was you just did, you just did not want her disapproval. So uh, my mother was really uh, classic German in that sense and. Uh, in terms of every stereotypical thing you could come up with. Uh, she was a little uh, cold, but she was always there. Um, you know, she she was always there, my mother. she My mother was a stay-at-home mom with seven kids. That's quite a, a job, to put it mildly, to begin with. And what's funny is I grew up in a household where, you know, mom was home... Um, I wanted to be home as much as I possibly could. Uh, there was food and it was comfortable and a couple of dogs and a cat. And, you know, uh, we had we grew up with dogs and cats in the house, especially uh, dogs. And, uh, of course, most of my family members sort of became animal people because of this, although a few of my siblings sort of resented the animals for getting more attention than uh, they did from mom. But uh, I became very much an animal person and, 
I live in a condo now and have a cat, so uh, I would have a dog if I lived in a home, but I, I think that when you live in a condo, if you don't have a backyard, having a dog is really not the best call. Uh, cat's a little bit easier. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I kind of made my cat into a dog uh, anyway in some respect. She's about as loyal as a dog, and she uh, can roughhouse with her a little bit like I can with a dog, and uh, she just is... Uh, you know, super loving and loyal. Um, I always, I, I guess I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of these people that has a fear that their cat's going to run away. Um, she knows what she's got here and she ain't going anywhere. I do let my cat out from time to time as well. So usually in the evening she goes out for a few hours. Um, unfortunately, she occasionally brings in a bird or something, so I've got to make sure I block that from happening. Not one of my favorite things. Fortunately, it's rare, but it does occur. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I, when, I, when I wrote this and I, I was becoming so irritated um, with uh, my friend's uh, children interrupting all the time, uh, it, was, it was really eye-opening when I, I thought about how much I love my cat. And I really, really do. Um, I, I've had a number of pets over the years, and I can truly say that this is the best pet that I've ever had. Um, it isn't that I don't love every each and every pet that I've ever had, but it's like I've become smarter and wiser in how to how do I put this the right way? I've become smarter and wiser in how to to have a good, healthy, happy, functioning pet. You know, and I can honestly tell you that if you almost not even almost every pet I've ever had ended up reflecting some of my own qualities. I mean, they they have their own personality traits and characteristics, but they do reflect my personality traits and characteristics to some extent as well. And uh, this cat is solely mine. I never shared her with anyone. She's just completely mine. So she really does reflect my characteristics in a lot of ways. And, you know, on the on the good side, you know, I'm in a much better place than I was 10, 20 years ago. I'm much healthier. I'm much stronger. I'm much more comfortable. I'm not fearful. I have a healthier social exchange. Um, and lo and behold, so does my cat. So there is definitely some correlation with that. The same thing, of course, uh, I think comes into play when it comes to children. What people don't understand is your children will reflect back the good and the bad characteristics that you have. Um, and it is not that they're not, they also don't have their own unique characteristics. One of the things that you, you learn when you study something like numerology or astrology is you begin to see that there are basic dispositions and, and uh, experiences and ways of doing things that people are uh, predisposed to. And you could read that through a numerology chart as well as an astrology chart. What's really fascinating about this too is if you, especially uh, with astrology, you will see that if you do an actual astrology chart, there are 12 houses in astrology, and I'm not going to bore anybody with getting technical about this, but they are referred to the houses of life. So they, they really refer to the different elements of the things that we experience and participate in. So the planets in the sky will quote-unquote fall into these houses relating to where you're born. And what this will show us when you look at an astrology chart is... Um, basically the way you tend to do things in life and the areas that are your primary interest and focus. For instance, the second house is money and finances and, and what we value. Uh, the fourth house is the home and the family and our roots. 
The seventh house is marriage and partnerships and relationships. The ninth house is philosophy and higher education. The eleventh house is friendships, group associations, and friendships. So one thing that you see that's really interesting when you look at a uh, an astrology chart is if you look at the fourth house, it will often tell you um, specifically the cusp of the fourth house, which is called a nadar. It'll actually tell you what influence mother was. Uh, sometimes it's father, but more often than not, it's mother. What influence mother was on you and the way you saw it. You know, later on in life, this tends to show the way we um, carve out our own family uh, structure as well as what we look for in a home and a, and a sense of groundedness. But you really can actually see the way you perceived or what influence mother had on you, often from that fourth house cusp. Now, there are other factors that may contribute as well, but this is one of the primary things that you can find fairly universally for all human beings. So what's interesting is when you look at a family with a number of children, because of different ascendants or rising signs, one person might have Aquarius on their fourth house cusp, where another person might have Scorpio on their fourth house cusp. So what this would, in essence, tell us is that one uh, one child, even in the same family, would perceive mother from an Aquarian angle, where another child might perceive mother from a Scorpionic angle. So uh, in this case, the Aquarian angle would be seeing mother as more intelligent and high-minded and uh, goal-oriented and strong and a little bit detached whereas someone with Scorpio would see mother as as either very nurturing um, or almost even smothering or possibly even controlling. Could even be the case with Scorpio, but we would see a much more intensified emotional um, uh, disposition from the primary nurturer. In this case, it's normally or usually the mother, although sometimes, again, it may be the father. So what we see here, of course, is this interesting dynamic that comes up that it tells us why you might have a sister you might have saw mom as a nurturer where you have a sister or brother who saw mom as a monster. Um, again, and, and I'm not pegging that on Scorpio, by the way. <laughs> that uh, It's a misnomer that uh, Scorpio is a, a bad sign. There is some very positive elements about Scorpio and good and bad elements within all signs. So, uh, again, this is where these, this difference of perspective comes from. The same mother, same family, same structure. Why does a child perceive mom in a different way? And the majority of my siblings did see my mom somewhat as a kind of um, hard, um, colder, um, pragmatic figure. And while I did share that view as well, I also did get a certain amount of nurturing from my mother. And that had to do with the fact that in my chart, cancer is on the cusp of that fourth house, which is a more of a nurturing sign. So I got more nurturing out of my mom than my siblings did, which of course made them resentful at times, although my little sister got a certain amount of nurturing too. So, again, what, what, what's, what's interesting about astrology in this context is it does show these general dispositions and ways that we, we tend to view life um, and what we get from our family and, and all these other factors that come into play. So, bringing this back around to the whole idea of the child-rearing um, philosophy, some people are going to have parents that see the need for a harder edge or a lot more discipline. And some parents, of course, are going to go in the opposite direction and be overly liberal and uh, and uh, a little too easygoing in that sense and not create structure. 
You know, I think that I'm, I'm more of a moderate politically. I'm also moderate in life. And I think that more often than not, we kind of have to find somewhat of a middle ground. And I think that if you uh, are overly liberal and let your parents, your children do whatever they want in that sense, they're going to learn to run roughshod over people. And that's not a good attribute to unleash into the world, nor is it good for them in the long run because, you know, uh, everyone else isn't going to be as tolerant as mom and dad, obviously. And by the same token, if you rule the house with an iron fist in that sense as well, this also could create some serious issues and problems down the line as well. So again, I think it's more about finding a middle ground. You know, I know there's a there's been a show on uh, MTV that I've caught a few times, sadly, uh, <laughs> that uh, is called uh, My Super Sweet 16 or something like that. It's about 16-year-olds whose parents pay for these elaborate um, Sweet 16 parties. You know, a couple times I watched this, I think it just blew my mind because this is so opposite of what I experienced um, you know, we, we did celebrate birthdays in my house, but, you know, certainly with no level of real true elaborateness. And, uh, you know, more importantly, certainly not a million-dollar, two-million-dollar party. Uh, my parents, of course, could not afford that anyway. And even if they could, they wouldn't have done it. Uh, and uh, it, it's funny to watch this because, really, some of these children, you could tell already, are just complete brats in that sense. You know, you have a, a famous celebrity, which I hate to use the word celebrity because I think it's a stretch, like Paris Hilton right now, who kind of uh, epitomizes this, this uh, spoon-in-mouth syndrome in that sense. And, uh, you know, it, it is a little sickening in that respect. We have to admit that these are not positive role models for young people by any means. And I think that this has become a very prevalent theme that's going on currently in society. In fact, you know, to get too heavy on the political side, but, you know, this whole, uh, the fact that our economy is falling apart at the seams and there's so much difficulty does relate to this obsessive American greed that operates. Uh, now there's going to be repercussions for that karmic balance of, uh, of cause and effect. Now we have to go through a leaner period to kind of grow and evolve. Uh, I will leave that subject now because it's going to be a future uh, point in this uh, web, web broadcast as well as in my column. But uh, back to the uh, initial matter at hand. You know, uh, again, when it comes to uh, raising kids, everyone's going to take a, a different approach to this this idea. And, you know, I'm often really kinder with parents than people would think because I think that, you know, for the most part, you're not really getting a handbook um, telling you how to raise children. And, and a lot of it is trial and error. So I think, you know, for wise parents, they learn as they go. They admit they've made mistakes along the way. They adjust themselves accordingly. Um, and uh, they have often become better parents. Uh, um, certainly that is a, you know, a very... Uh, good thing to focus on in a practical reality. Um, but, you know, I always like to say, if you have really, really, really bad, bad, bad kids, then you did have a hand in that, in that sense. And again, sometimes it's circumstances and situations that were a little beyond your control, but for the most part, we have to own that um, while taking into account that there are certain things your children have come in to explore in this life. That's something you could see to an astrology chart as an example. So they don't come in as blank slates, but we do influence them a lot. So 
our children often tend to exaggerate our, our, our own worst characteristics as well as of, and often go and rise to the occasion of some of our best potential characteristics. That's the nature of, of producing children. So I think there really is some wisdom in being able to look at that element and that factor. But what I certainly have seen, and, and part of the reason that I, I, I wrote this column, uh, was because it really it dawned on me that I really had become ultra-conservative almost in my approach to the way people are with children. And it really began to dawn on me that I had become that way because there was a little part of me, my inner child, that resented these children that got all this, all this much uh, attention and acknowledgement in that sense. You know, coming from a, a childhood home where I got very little, this was um, this is something that, that bothered me at some deeper level. And I really do think that is the case often with people who are overly conservative, that they've kind of repressed something somehow. Uh, I know that to be the case with um, almost all really hardcore conservatives that I talk to. So uh, in a future uh, in a future broadcast and column, I'm going to talk about the difference between the left and the right, uh, politically, emotionally, and socially as well. But for now, suffice to say, more often than not, people who are overly conservative are, in some cases, repressing, not even in some cases, always repressing certain elements within the self that they're afraid to unleash. And uh, there are certainly a certain level of dysfunction on the far left as well that I'll eventually talk about. But I think what, what I kind of really was wanting to point out here in this piece was that, you know, there really is some good to being a little over the top and, and loving with your kids. I think it would have been more of a benefit for me if had I had it. That's okay that I didn't because I've learned how to acquire it on my own. But, um, you know, we, we, we do, we get bothered by these expressions of love. And the, the truth of it is, you know, like I had sort of surmised in the column, we can all be a little more loving. We can all be a little happier. We can all be a little bit more positive. We can all we can be a little more proud of our, our spouse, our children, our pets, the things that we do. Uh, we don't have to get into being cocky about it, but we can we can realize that it's okay to express feeling good and liking something and appreciating something and valuing something. There really is nothing wrong in that. And uh, it's just an expression of love. And uh, it's certainly not a bad thing in this world to have a little bit more of that than, uh, than too little. Okay, so uh, it is amazing how quickly a 45-minute broadcast goes. And I'm actually coming to the end here. So I'm going to tie this up by telling you that uh, I will be here again next month with my next uh, broadcast, which is going to be about... Um, Living in safety, creating a lifetime of safety, and living without fear, living in safety. I really do recommend uh, that you, you listen to that, especially in this time and day and age when things are as difficult as they are. This is a very powerful um, subject for me to bring up, and I've got some really strong insights that I think will be a help to any and all of my listeners. If you're uh, not currently getting my monthly column, you don't have to wait for the broadcast to hear it. You can email me at Ventura. S-A-G at yahoo.com or VenturaWords at mac.com and get added to my email list and get my monthly column. Uh, you can check out some of this information on my link as well mm -hmm. as my website. 
And uh, if you want to, like I said, the column is free. It's a monthly column that comes out. Uh, you might as well get it. Some good insight. Um, check out my website uh, if you're interested in a private one-on-one -on -one session with me. You don't have to be in Phoenix. I do do a lot of my sessions by phone, so uh, you're welcome to set up a session. Although uh, I remind people I'm not a psychic hotline. You've got to call me or email me and then book the session, uh, which sometimes can be anywhere from a few days to a before I'm actually able to do the session with you. So patience, peaceful. Uh, again, no psychic hotline here. We don't operate that way. Um, but uh, you're welcome to uh, check out the, uh, the website and get the column for free, as well as uh, contact me if you want a copy of my book in print format or audio CD, or you can also get it uh, from Amazon. And uh, it's a great book. Definitely uh, very entertaining and very insightful. So I highly recommend it. And uh, anyway, it's great talking today. And uh, uh, for anyone who is listening live, I hope you enjoyed it. Anyone listens in the archive, I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to call in at any other time of future broadcast and uh, comment uh, if you would like to, and even ask questions. Yes, you you would you can pick my brain and ask me questions. I might even pull an oracle for you on air. So uh, that's a way to get a little freebie. Uh, cheers. Have a great uh, day, everybody.